If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. Hello out there, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the SaaS Sales Players. I have a wonderful guest that I'm looking forward to introducing today, a man by the name of Chris Dankowski. Chris is a senior sales strategy consultant at Sapper Consulting and the owner of the Bluebird Sales Consultancy. He's someone that I met almost a decade ago. I guess it was eight years ago is what we determined in the show uh, when he and I worked together at our first software company in Austin, Texas. Uh, He and I have kept in touch here and there over the years, and I was so excited to have him on the show. He shares a lot of insight into how you can be measuring the effectiveness of your outreach and your outbound campaigns. He speaks about the things that he did to get into some companies that are fast movers and shakers like Outreach and HubSpot. And then we talked about what the next wave of prospecting channels might be so that you can get ahead of the curve and start reaching out to your buyers in those channels. So with all of that said, Chris, welcome to the show. Chris Dankowski, welcome to the show. What's up? <laughs> hey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have you on. I was just telling you off air that I like uh, shining a light on individuals who I know have been very successful in their career that aren't necessarily in the sales podcast circuit. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a handful of people out there that are on every sales podcast. And then there's a handful of people out there that are doing some really cool things, building some cool products, selling some awesome products, and they don't get as much of a, you know, that share of voice. So excited to have you on. And I think a great starting point would be, I'd love to hear how you got into sales. I know, uh, you know, first of all, to set the stage, you and I met almost a decade ago, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, we've more or less kept in touch over time, probably not as closely as we should have, uh, but we both started at the, the same software company. I think we both kind of started our SaaS journey at, at the same software company almost a decade ago in Austin. Yeah. Uh, but I know before that you had a whole career as a business owner and an entrepreneur. So maybe start there because I, I know the audience always likes hearing about uh, entrepreneurship and then also transitioning from something else into SaaS sales. So yeah, tell us, tell us all about you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's, it's kind of a fun story. Um, but first, like, thanks again for having me on. Um, I like the setup, like, you know, you have like the A players that are kind of on the circuit and then you got people (laughs) like me, like, you know, kind of the underground bootleg champ. Also so, an A player. Also an A player. I love it. No, no, no. I'm like the, I'm like the underground mixtape king. You know what All I'm right, saying? All right, that's cool. Hey, that's cool. I, I'm, I'm coming to it like that, right? Like the, I like it. Like this, like the CDs they sell in the gas stations right next to the cash register. Like, like that's me. You know. And then you got someone like 
Jamal Reimer, you know, that's like, you know, actually in your house on Netflix, you know, I'm, I'm more of like that bootleg CD next to the cash register. Someone so, buys those CDs though. And that's the key here. Oh yeah. Someone's still buying those. Cause otherwise they wouldn't be putting them next to the cash register. People's <laughs> people's champ, baby. People's champ. Awesome, oh, dude. Man. So yeah, man, you and I worked together uh, pr- a little over eight years ago. That was, that was the job that brought me to Austin. Um, but to, you know, get back to uh, kind of run you through the, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's right. From Arizona. Yep. Um, yep. Cool. Uh, so the origin story, like, uh, I'll go back a little bit deeper to kind of like explain how I ended up where I ended up and then explain how I got into sales. So I uh, I was always a terrible student and uh, teachers couldn't figure it out. They'd be like, hey, man, you you know, you're you're underachieving. You seem smart, like this, that yeah. and the other thing. But your grades are terrible. You're never in school. You're asleep when you're in class. Like you're always misbehaving. It's just it was awful. So I graduated <laughs> high school number 685 out of 700 students. And Ooh. my GPA was like a 1.015 out of a five point scale. And I just <laughs> I found out I was graduating like a couple of days before. And it was just it was kind of one of those things like just get out of here. Just leave us alone. Like, Where'd you go to high school? Uh, was it? I went, to, city? I went to high school in Illinois, right outside Chicago um, nice. in a town called St. Charles. So like okay. 40 minutes outside of Chicago. So uh, just bounced around. After I got out of school, I was kind of like, you know, I went to work doing hard labor for like a year. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to hide out in community college uh, because my mom was like, hey, if you go to school, you know, you just have to work part time and like you can eat the food in the fridge, you can stay over the garage, that type of thing. So, you know, I hit out uh, trying to go to school and uh, what I was doing in the summertime to earn money was I was painting houses and I was learning a trade that was going to be my fallback. I was going to nice. go to school, learn marketing, but then I was going to have this trade just in case marketing didn't work out. And uh, I actually fell in love uh, with the painting business. Like, um, I worked yeah. with a guy as an apprentice who was not just teaching me the trade, but like taught me the business too. He, uh, he actually had a couple DUIs. So part of my job was to drive <laughs> him around to sales calls. And I'm just inquisitive. Nice. I'm like, how do you know what to charge people? How did this person even find you? Like, what right. do you say when you go into their home? And so I'm learning that part of the business too. And, uh, eventually I, I moved out to Colorado to finish up school at this, uh, the school in Durango, Colorado, which is middle of nowhere, and it's beautiful. It's called, yeah. called Fort Lewis College. Mm-hmm. You know it? Yeah. Well, my my grandparents actually live in Durango, so I oh. I love I love Durango, and I've talked about moving there uh, at, at different points. It's yeah, that's a great place. It's it, yeah, it's awesome. So me and uh, the the chick who would become my first wife, not my last wife, uh, <laughs> we moved out there together. And I was trying to go to school, and I um, I was working on a painting crew, making like seven dollars an hour. And uh, like the light bulb went off. I was just like, man, I am so poor, and like living way under the poverty line. And I'm doing all the work for this guy, and he's paying me seven bucks an hour. And I'm like. You know, let me just invest $36 into some uh, into some business cards and see if I can get some some uh, business for myself. So that's how I got into business. It was a $36 investment. And uh, I started that painting business, uh, started working for myself there, got married to to the first wife and mm-hmm. uh, moved to San Diego and then got my contractor's license and then grew the business. So it wasn't just me. It was eventually like 12 guys. We were doing um, 
over half a million dollars in sales a year. And it was a legit business. And I did that for oh, over a decade, right? And yeah, um, yeah. then in San Diego, around like, and, and I decided, you know, to drop out of school in that process. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like what, I, school, I just can't deal, I just can't deal with it, right? So <laughs> dropped out of school, started the painting business, got married, moved to San Diego. Then around 2008, Southern California, the housing crisis hits. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so all these rich, you know, clients of mine that are keeping 12 guys and myself busy and we're making all this money and it, life is great. All of a sudden, all their homes are getting foreclosed on, you know, so instead of like, oh, you know, investing in real estate, buying real estate, you know, all the business just dried up over the course of like a year and a Ouch. half. And it was like, I just lost everything like all at once. It was, it was insane. I, uh, like me and the wife split up. Then oh, a couple man. of years after that, uh, I ended up going to rehab. I got sober. I've been sober for over 13 years now. Congrats. Um, thank you. Thank you. That's like a huge part of the story. And then right after I, uh, I got out of rehab and I was all cleaned up, um, filed bankruptcy, condo got foreclosed on, uh, you know, gave, just folded up shop on the business, gave all my tools away to my foreman and was like, good luck with this. <laughs> this freaking business and like had no plan and no clue what I was going to do. Um, so I was like 32, 32 years old at that point. I bounced around for a little bit, just hustling up money, small jobs. I was working as like a process server for like a year. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it was crazy. It was, it was nuts. A guy pulled a sword on me one time, uh, like Ooh. a samurai sword when I went to take papers to him. Um, <laughs> Yeah. That's a tough racket. The, the, the process yeah. serving thing. Yeah. Yep. It was crazy. But, um, but then like, I was like, okay, I need some kind of corporate job. I need benefits, retirement, all this stuff, all the things I never had as a small business owner. And, um, like I thought about what I liked most about, uh, or some of the things I liked most about having my own business. And it all came back to, you know, finding new business and kind of driving prospects uh, through a marketing funnel, then through a sales funnel and just like, you know, getting to talk to people and, you know, making them happy and servicing mm -hmm. clients. So I started applying for sales jobs and like, you can imagine the market for a 34 year old guy whose mom yeah. had to help him write his resume, uh, who like never finished college. And like, you wow. think owning a small business is like, Oh, anyone is going to see, like, I built this business. I did all the sales and marketing. Like there's <laughs> value in that is like, no, you have no experience, dude. Um, yeah. So I got a sales job at a company called Review Boost uh, in Vista, mm -hmm. California. They were at the third story of uh, Hooters. So we worked over at Hooters. <laughs> uh, straight commission, straight commission. You don't wow. sell, you don't get paid. Um, if you don't make four sales in a month, then that last Friday of the month at four o'clock, you just pack up your stuff, you leave forever and you oh, go find man. a new job. And that's it. And uh, yeah, so that was that was my first job. And I was there for three years. I was, uh, you know, a, if you could call it an AE, I call it being an AE on my, uh, on my right. resume. But, you know, I was, was... A, I was an inside sales rep jamming out 100 dials a day and just trying to close people on the first call for 400 bucks. Was it just uh, like like Google reviews? It looks like I'm looking up at them yeah. now and it looks like they're still around. Uh, mm -hmm. so it wasn't software. It was more like a, a social media or a, like a search. And that, that's, that's actually how I started too, is in a search company before I did Volusion. 
which was actual, you know, SaaS software. Um, but yeah, it looks like they did social media. Is that right? Yeah. It's so it was like, um, search, search engine marketing, right? So if you Google, like say a lot of our customers were like, um, car dealerships or hotels. So if you Google that car dealership, we want to make sure that everything that comes up on the front page of Google results is like positive stuff, press releases, nice videos, your Facebook page, and some good reviews for your business too. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and then they uh, they actually promoted me to manager. Like after like three or four months, they were like, "Hey, you're like on time. You don't come back from lunch with your eyes bloodshot. You know, like, <laughs> you're yeah. you're an upstanding citizen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you can fog a mirror, right? So uh, yeah. why don't you build a team? And so um, I built a team of openers, and I got manager of the year twice. And it was it was the traditional boiler room model where you would have openers on the phone that get the business owner on the phone. And then they'd say, you know what? Uh, Chris is in the office right next to me. He talks exclusively to car dealerships. Let me get him on the line. He'll explain the offering to you and do the demo. And then they'd yeah. raise their hand. They go, Chris, T.O. Then I'd get on the phone and the guy would be like, hey, I heard everything. They didn't have me on mute at all. Like, <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. And so you'd come in and you'd, you'd wrap up the deals. I, I remember those yeah. days. Uh, it, it's hard to replicate that culture in a, in a Zoom first sales world. Oh. Yeah, because no like, I remember my first couple of sales jobs in Involution also, where you've just got a massive people out on a floor making a bunch of phone calls. It's loud as hell. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're, you're, you're struggling if you're on a call in real time and you're like, you know, spinning your tires, your manager can hear everything. So they come over yeah. and they're like, hold on, I, I'm going to take this one. It's I'm going to escalate it up. And then, uh, yeah, what, what yeah. can we do to earn your business today, sir or ma'am? Yeah. And, uh, it is, it'd probably be really hard to replicate that today. Um, yeah. that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting epiphany that I just had. And I'm, and I'm realizing like, yeah, that's how I started my career too. And I, uh, you know, obviously in, in nowadays I do something completely different than just sort of the 80 to hundred dials a day and yeah. transactional selling. But, um, I imagine it's really, really tough to, to replicate that kind of culture in, in, in today's world. Yeah. Well, especially with people working remote too. Right. Yeah. But it's yeah. funny, like the work we do at Sapper, um, a lot of it is consulting with BDR and SDR teams and they don't even cold call anymore. Like a lot of them. Right. Um, like I'm working with a, uh, a team of BDRs and, uh, they're making each BDR is making less than 35 dials a week. And they're just, they're just sending off a bunch of automated emails, like way too many and really bringing down their, um, their sender reputation score. So most of those emails are going to spam. And then on, on the off chance that someone replies positive to a meeting, those are the meetings they take. And those are the phone calls they make. And it's just kind of like, I don't know, man, it's just, it's it's not the way to do it. It's tough. So really quick, stepping back, how did you transition out of review boost over to an actual SaaS software company? And, you know, I think our stories are pretty similar. First of all, our stories are very similar, even yeah. down to the, you know, low uh, GPA in high school. Uh, <laughs> we share, we share that. Um, nice. And then, uh, yeah. How did you, how did you land over at Volusion? And maybe we take a moment of silence to, to thank the folks over at Volusion for both uh, taking a bet on us. Cause oh, yeah. they are, they were the reason that I ultimately landed in the software industry and, you know, moved, moved myself across the country, I guess, like across a couple States anyway, uh, to go to Austin and, and start my career in SAS. But yeah, how did you, uh, how did you find out about Volusion 
And, you know, how did you make the transition from media sales or, or social media sales, uh, you know, reviews to an actual SaaS platform? Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I echo that, that sentiment hundred percent. And like, it is a good time to pause and be like that company review boost I worked for. Like I hold them in the highest regard and same thing with all the companies that I work for and Volusion. Um, it was really a matter of like, uh, my wife and I just decided, uh, we wanted to try to live somewhere else other than San Diego. We wanted to live somewhere that wasn't so expensive and wasn't so crowded. And we figured we'll take a chance. We'll go somewhere. And the worst that'll happen is we won't like it. And we'll have to move back to San Diego. Like, Oh, yeah. that's so terrible. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and at the time, and, and this is still the case, but like, you know, you see all these, these lists out, like, you know, best places to live, best places to raise a family and mm -hmm. Austin's always right up there. So Right, I kind of, right. I kind of like blindly just started applying, like spamming out resumes to, to uh, just not even specifically software companies, just companies that I thought looked kind of neat in Austin. And um, yeah, Volusion stuck. Like I interviewed with yeah. them. I, uh, as part of the interview, I'm sure you had to do this, but you had to do like a live role play and like, yep. um, they were trying to throw me these objections and like, dude, I'm from the legit real life boiler room where people are right. TO and calls. Like, you're not going to stump me with any like, oh, I need to talk to my wife type objections, <laughs> right? So I just like, yeah, yeah. Blew, blew the doors off, got hired. I was like, uh, I remember when I called my wife to tell her I got that job and I'm like, I'm getting benefits. There's a 401k. I'm getting a base salary. She cried on the phone. She was so yeah. happy for me. And she knew like, how hard I work. Like it was I, uh, a huge moment. I got an, I got pretty emotional when I got that job offer and like they, they really sold that company too. Like you, you'd go to their website. And I don't, I'm sure they, they still have this. I haven't checked in on Volusion's website in a while, but like they had this video of like people scootering around this warehouse yeah. office in Austin with like free snacks and they're like playing breakfast tacos, yeah. playing ping pong, or, or it was, it was Nerf guns or something at that time. Yeah. And I was like, man, I officially made it. I'm going to go work for like one of the tech companies in Austin. Yeah. And, Same. uh, yeah, it was, it was a great, great, uh, job. And, and I know, you know, we worked for, for some, some great people there that yep. were, you know, fantastic coaches. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to ask you because since then, you know, not to, you know, not to move on too quickly from your Volusion experience, but I do want, you know, since then you've been at some very well-known tech companies, Evernote, right. Outreach, HubSpot. Uh, I know I have a lot of the listeners reach out and say, how can I position myself to get in the door at one of the hot SaaS companies? And I'd say all three of those are pretty, you know, extremely well-known companies. And right. in the case of like outreach and HubSpot, they're both, you know, unicorn or, you know, post-unicorn status where, you know, in HubSpot's case, they're just one of the biggest, most successful SaaS companies out there. Yeah. Uh, how, you know, what was your strategy for, for going from Volusion? And again, not to diminish Volusion at all. It's a great company. Yeah. It's a great place to start a career. Uh, it may not have as many, you know, headlines or it doesn't end up in as many of those lists of top 10 software companies on the planet. Um, but you've obviously, you know, you, you did something that managed to get you in front of the right people at some of the most, you know, you know, fastest growing, hottest companies in, in SaaS. What do you boil that down to? Um, well, I was, I was, I was like thought out and strategic about it. Like I was thinking not about the immediate job in front of me, but like, you know, two or three roles down. Like, where do I want to be? And to be honest with you, like when I started in sales and I realized like, hey, I'm good at this. I can make great money. I really enjoy it. Like my goal was to uh, be an enterprise AE at Google. 
And I just yeah. thought like at the time, you know, this was like, what, 11, 12 years ago at the time that was like, you know, the, the top of the mountaintop, at least for me, like I was right. like, uh, I think of it as like, you know, sales is like this huge skyscraper and there's a bunch of different floors on the sky skyscraper. Right. And it's like, you know, different, different roles, different jobs at each floor. And you just got to, I just wanted to see how high I could get, like which floor I could yeah. get to, right. To yeah. try to test myself. So I, I approached it with like the end in mind for sure. So when I was leaving Volusion, it was, um, I really loved it there and I wanted to stay, but mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I were in the process of finalizing the adoption on our foster son. We'd had him with us as a foster placement for a year and a half. And then it was finally like, yeah, you're going to be able to keep him. You're, this is your forever family. And it was like, we're overjoyed. And now it's like, oh, now I got a, uh, a family to support. And I need more money. Right. right. So so uh they wouldn't pay me any more money i asked them and uh yep. i started like passively looking and i had been using evernote and i loved it and i saw that they were hiring for aes in austin and yeah. i i made a commitment to myself i'm like i'm not in a huge hurry to leave illusion but i'm just going to passively look and if the right opportunity comes i'm going to pounce on it and so um i yeah. saw that and i was like dude this is right in my <laughs> wheelhouse it's like kind of a smaller purchase price right so Volusion sure, was more sure. of a transactional sale very much so i wasn't going from like a transactional sale to like a traditional mid-market sale that's like you know mid five figures or something like mm -hmm. that it's like evernote was was going to end up right in between that so i felt a little more comfortable making that level up i i I was like, the brand is going to look awesome on the resume. Um, so I hired someone to write my resume. I always do that. Nice. I know I'm not an expert. I hire someone, I, yeah. executive drafts. He's uh, in town. He's based out of Round Rock. And cool. uh, 300 bucks. They, they'll tune up your resume and uh, yeah, get you past the recruiter. And then you wow. know, with sales, as you, um, as you get in these interviews, it's just they're just sales calls, right? So it's like, all right, let me figure out what you're looking for. And then I'm going to be that during this call and, and highlight mm -hmm. parts of my experience that align to exactly what you're looking for. Yep. Yeah. So you landed over at, at Evernote then, got yeah. through the whole process and uh, sold there. And then, uh, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about the process. So, so outreach is notoriously difficult to get into. Uh, mm -hmm. their, their hiring standards are very high. There's several rounds of interviews because they're in the sales enablement space. Uh, they are, you know, heavily invested in sales tactics and sales strategy. And so I understand that, you know, every round of the interview process is, is pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, it was tell, tell us about <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> I, uh, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty rigorous, is my understanding. Um, and yeah. so, so so did you kind of follow the same playbook, which was get help, you know, tweaking your resume yeah. through an outsourced uh, firm, and then, you know, did you have a champion at outreach or anything like that that helped you through the interview process, or was it just uh, you know yeah. a combination of preparation and, and luck? Sure, it was, it was kind of all three, and it was it was similarly like really eerie timing uh the same yeah. as when i left illusion it was like i was ready to leave uh evernote just for a, a few reasons like just regular startup stuff those regular challenges you know and yeah. uh you know i was ready to go but you know my ass wasn't on fire to leave so i was like hey if, if something truly awesome comes along like i'll pounce on it and then you know, once I made that decision, not like, you know, maybe a month later, 
um, yeah. a recruiter reaches out from outreach and I'm just like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, <laughs> cause to me, like, first of all, yeah, I'm a geek when it comes to anything sales tech related, like especially sales engagement platforms. Like back in the day, I used mm-hmm. to send, um, at the end of the month at that job at review boost, I would send like these end of the month, like, uh, you know, closing emails, trying to offer discounts to like all the people I talked to in that month, but I would just BCC everyone. It was real shitty and like horrible yeah. to do, but like <laughs> I was still of that mindset. And then when I got to Belusion, it was mail merges in, we did uh, the, yeah, in mail merge. Oh, yep. oh so dude. clunky and terrible and just awful. And then I got into uh, channel sales at Belusion, actually started investing in tools. So I started using Mixmax, which is like calendaring oh, and yeah, and automated emails. Do you know, um, what, do you know what I used to do at Belusion? I, I'm actually, I'm kind of proud of this. Uh, so just for context for everybody listening, Volusion sold a, a very transactional product. It was like, you know, it's, it went anywhere from like 15 bucks or maybe 30 bucks a month up to like 150 or 200 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very, very small transactional. And it was pretty self-service. Like you could go on to Volusion's website and put your credit card in because it's e-commerce shopping cart. So very similar to Shopify, uh, yep. big commerce and some of those tools. And you could go and put your credit card in. So what I used to do was I would queue up, first of all, I, I used like the who is network, which is like the domain mm. registrar. And I'd pull yep. like thousands of contact emails from every, you know, website on the planet. And I would load all of those into a BCC line on an out, yeah, an outlook email, <laughs> uh, you know, an email interface or whatever. And I would load like, I don't know, hundreds, thousands. And I would put this message in that basically said, it was so cheesy too, because I would say something like, Hey, with Valentine's day coming up, we're doing a Valentine's day discount. It was the stupidest shit. Uh, and, or whatever Christmas discounts or Halloween discounts was the just dumbest shit. And I would write it down and I would put a link to where to, to purchase and a coupon code that was like attributable (laughs) to me. And I would just (laughs) blast this out. And then I'd leave for the day and I'd come home or I'm sorry, I'd come into the office the next day and I'd have like three or four sales. Cause it would just, yeah. it was just a volume play. It was the more people you could get that in front of, eventually someone was going to click through and actually put in the coupon code and buy it, buy a license. Um, you can't do that today without getting blacklisted and you know, yeah. you, you don't want to do that. Don't be BCCing no. thousands of people. Um, obviously, you know, sales outreach has changed quite a bit since then. Yes. Uh, and you know, of course that's probably not the best salespersonship is, is, you know, blasting people and trying to get sales from a, a click through versus, you know, getting on the phone and actually handling objections and those kind of things. So uh, anyway, yeah, it, that's, it's funny that's how hilarious. times, have, yeah, funny how times have changed. So tell me something, you know, in each of these roles, you, again, being at some of these unicorn companies, fast growing SaaS companies, in my experience, joining the, the fast movers, you've got to deliver results pretty quickly. What are some of the things that you did initially when you'd come on board at a place like Outreach or HubSpot or Evernote? Uh, to make sure that you started hitting, you know, your targets early on or ramping or building pipeline. Uh, what are some of your best practices for coming on board and getting ramped up quickly? Uh, sure. And that's a great question. And I, you know, there's, I think for me, it's identifying who the top performers are and just, you know, sitting with them and trying to steal as much as possible. And really, you know, when you're talking about more of like a, a corporate or enterprise type of, uh, of sale, you know, with a longer um, sales cycle and you're working from named accounts, like really understanding 
how they discern like a super high value, great fit target account from a tier two. And being able to look at your book of business and really divide it into those two buckets and then really focusing your time on like finding the right people of those accounts and reaching out to those people. So, you know, really looking at the top performers, figuring out how they how they segment their accounts and the methodology they take. And then after that, it's just sort of getting up to speed on the product and um, and really, you know, um, at bats too. Like I. Yeah. Even even my last role, you know, when I decided to quote unquote retire from sales at HubSpot, I was still cold calling like every other day. And it's just, yeah. just get the meetings, just pick, pick up the phone, dial, you know, get 20 minutes on someone's calendar and have the conversations. You know, that's the only way you're going to get better. The, you, you hit on, you nailed the, the number one thing. I, I, you know, again, a lot of a lot of listeners reach out. Uh, a lot of my colleagues who are starting new roles always ask, I, I, don't, I don't know why they ask me, but <laughs> they always ask, you know, Hey, what is it that you're doing in roles to get up to speed quickly to ramp quickly and, and, you know, start to show results. And, and you hit on like the, the number one thing, which is pick up the damn phone. Uh, yeah. And look, I know there's a lot of conversations, a lot of dialogue out there about cold calls in, you know, in the middle of a pandemic or in, in mm. uncertain economic times and those kind of <laughs> things, or is it faux pas at this point to, to call prospects? And I just, I'm, I'm never going to believe that's going to be the case. It's just never going to be yeah. the case. There's always somebody out there who, uh, who will take a call, who has a project, who has an initiative, who has a reason to buy what you're selling yep. and who's willing to hear you out. And the, the single fastest way to start to show your leadership results uh, and movement and action is if you're the person on the top of the leaderboard in terms of dials. And yeah. as sad as it is, if you just do you know a few extra calls, you're going to be a cut above everybody else and it's going to stand way out. So the way that I tend to come in and ramp as fast as I can and get my messaging and my pitch down and understand problems and listen is just getting on the phone and yeah. really, you know, taking it to the market and hearing what the actual prospects have to say about what I'm presenting and getting that feedback and altering. And then, you know, simultaneously, the leaderboard is going to show me as someone who's coming in and driving towards pipeline and results. And the mm -hmm. management team is going to start to say, well, obviously this person's motivated. So let's uh, start tossing them a few extra inbound leads or, you yep. know, let's give them this account to, to cut their teeth on. And so yeah. it, it's, it's this whole sort of, you know, you go in and you give that, uh, it starts to come back to you in abundance. And so I, yep. I love that you, 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 you know, touched on that, that, that calls is really the secret to unlocking a fast ramp. And, yeah. you know, there's just so many positive benefits to it. It's hard, you know, nobody wants to, to make 50, 60, 70, nah. 80 calls a day. Uh, yeah. but in the early days, if you're doing it consistently, you are going to build the pipe. You are going to get your leadership teams, uh, you know, endorsement or sponsorship, and it's ultimately going to result in, in bigger pipeline and a faster ramp. I, it's just, there's no other way to, yeah. it. you cannot, I, typically you cannot, to your point earlier, email your way to a massive pipeline and yeah. being a top performer. It does require talking to your prospects and understanding, you know, that feedback from your elevator pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And like you hit on a couple of things there uh, and it's like people noticing that effort. Right. And I think it has to do with initiative and, you know, it's the benefits are twofold, right? One, you're getting through those real shitty, awkward dials in the beginning and getting the talk track down and getting confident and getting comfortable. You're booking meetings. Um, but also like, you know, if you're not getting results, at least you're showing like 
your manager and uh, senior leadership that like, Hey, I am trying. So, you know, yeah. please coach me, please coach me up because I'm doing all the necessary actions. I just need to be brought up to feed with like some of the soft skills that you need me to use. I, I can't think of a single sales rep in my career that I know of that was like let go or, you know, fired who made a bunch of cold calls. Because yeah. again, at the very least, even if you're not necessarily closing deals quickly or you're not seeing the results as quickly, management knows you're trying to your point. And yeah, there's just really no downside to it. Yeah. So on that note, and knowing that you're, you know, you're kind of in the consulting world and you work with teams to improve their outreach and their outbounding, tell us, uh, you know, some of your go-tos for a great cold call, if you can. Oh, sure. So, and one of the services we offer is like a whole like uh, cold calling workshop, but where I always focus, where I always had success as a rep and where I try to like steer and focus my coaching um, when I'm putting those on is really around like just the opener and the intro. And it's real simple. And I've used like this format at every single job I've ever had. Uh, it always works. You don't have to have any experience with whatever you're selling to have it work. And it's always going to result in meetings. And that is like, you know, you just say, uh, hey, Jesse, how have you been? You know, that's the intro. That's it. You're asking, how have you been? Um, because it's a, it's a pattern interrupt effect, right? Gong.io, right. they analyzed over 100,000 calls and they found calls that started with that intro had a 6.6x uh, more engagement than calls with any other intro, right? So, hey, Jesse, how have you been? Hey, look, yeah. I know I'm interrupting your day, but can I just get 20 seconds to let you know I'm calling? Well, if you say no to that, then you're just a huge dick and like, you're not talking to anyone, right? right so right. everyone's gonna yeah. say yes to that. And then once you say yes to that, then it's elevator pitch time. Like, hey, I was just reaching out because some of our best customers, they're just like your company. We're helping them solve X, Y, and Z. So really, you know, like I said, I'm interrupting your day. Don't want to take up your time, but, you know, I really just want to get 20 minutes on your calendar so we can do a little bit of a deeper dive on this to see if we may actually be able to help you. Why don't yeah. you pull up your calendar right now? I'm free tomorrow at 10, you know? And then, nice. okay. if, you know, they'll book time. If they don't book time, you try to turn it into a discovery call. Um, but it's just, it works great. And so I really hammer that to people. And then, I try to like explain to them and using data to kind of get them past the call reluctance. So um, like amongst our customers, um, when we look at their sequences and, and how mm. the sequences are performing and how to optimize sequences, one thing we found is that call steps and sequences, when, it, when we're talking about book meetings, call steps and sequences outperform all other steps by eight to 10x. So really? you're talking to a team. Yeah. You're talking to a team of BDRs, you know, they're going cold outbound. They're supposed to be calling, but you know, they don't want to do this. They just want to put a hundred people into an automated sequence every day yep. and then deal with the replies or yeah. worse yet. Right. They want to take 30 minutes to research LinkedIn to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, look at like, um, like, uh, you know, tech crunch or look at the yep. Wikipedia page, look at the website type up this beautiful email, like the best email ever, that chances are there's a 75% chance, 75% chance it's <laughs> yeah. not going to get read. Yep. That's, that's, <laughs> it's a really great subject line. 75% chance it's not going to get read where they could yeah. have picked up the phone and spent 90 seconds, you know? 
And one, one quick tip for that. Uh, I think I learned this from John, John Barrows is if you're, if you have a sequence and you write this like very beautiful email for the first step, have that later, have the same email go out again, a second time, because to your point, like there's yeah. a 75% chance it's not going to get read. Um, again, emails alone are not going to be the answer to uh, all of your, you know, pipeline woes to your point, you know, you've got to pick up the phone in conjunction with the, the emails and other channels, but yeah. that is super interesting data. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, and again, that's just from our customers and looking at the work that, that we've done for them. And it, it's kind of cool because it's like, um, you know, we, we do these services and we do all this consulting work and advising people. Um, but then when we're implementing the sequences and the technology, like we can circle back around uh, for those optimization calls that we provide, we can actually, you know, see the results and measure the results and then just replicate that with other people. That's so really it's, cool. uh, it is really cool. And like, you know, as a, as a sales rep, you know how it is where it's like you mm -hmm. deal with someone for 90 days and you get this great relationship and then they close and then it's kind of like, all right, bye. You know, like I'll, I'll, I'll be on the calls from time to time, but really this is it. And you never know, like really, you know, how they're doing with the platform um, yeah. unless you're really active in expanding that. So this is, this is cool being on the other side of it now. That is really cool. What, yeah. what other, you know, what other interesting data points have, have you uncovered in, in the work you're doing? Oh, geez. It's like a pop quiz now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, if there's nothing that comes to mind, we can, we can move on, but I, no, no, no. I love good, you know, data that like presents a, a new, you know, basically changes your thinking because when you hear mm -hmm. something like, Oh God, you know, 75% of my emails are actually not going to get read or at least on the first yeah. touch. Uh, and so why invest two hours, three hours, eight hours, God, you know, longer than that to, to put together this beautiful email that's going to go in someone's spam box or it's going to get deleted instantly or filtered out. Um, so I love insights like that where it sort of, you know, helps reshape your thinking around how you approach your pipeline generation. Yeah. And one of the things we're doing now, we don't, we have some of their uh, historical data, but we're working with a, a large global enterprise. Um, it's one of my accounts and the focus is not just um, outreach adoption and outreach excellence, but also uh, video prospect. So they've been using mm -hmm. a video prospecting platform to embed these uh, short demo videos into outreach. And the team that is having the most success, they've seen like a, um, I think it's like a 3X response rate from emails mm -hmm. with video content versus prospecting emails without. Um, so yeah. we're doing some things with them to like determine exactly what they're doing, uh, refining that to get them better results, and then taking that to other teams across the organization to replicate that. Um, so that's going to be really interesting because the more like not to get too high level, but um, yeah. as time goes on, like and you think about B2B SaaS sales, right? Um, you look at B2C sales, like right now I could go and view a house without having to talk to a realtor. I right, could buy right. a car without having to talk to a car salesman. So yeah. with, people don't want to deal with salesmen anymore. So with, with B2B staff sales, it's like they're still going to have to talk to sales at some point, but the role and responsibilities of, of sales are going to change. And mm -hmm. where they enter into that buyer's journey is changing too. It's deeper down in the funnel. So when you look at something like video prospecting, and then using that as a propensity tool for a sales rep to say like, oh, this prospect looked at 
two minutes of this five minute video, I should follow up with them for a phone call. That's what I find like really interesting um, and kind of like the future of where all this is going. I want to start using more video in my prospecting. I am honestly, I'll, I'll admit it here on the air that I've tried to use, you know, different video tactics in the past. So I'm, I'm actually want to, I want to dig into what you mean by video, because I, I think of video in prospecting in sort of two forms. One is you're sending over like a explainer video mm-hmm. or a product demo video that's on your company's Vimeo or YouTube page. And then the other way that people refer to video is like, I have a, what is it like um, Vimeo or not Vimeo, uh, Loom is I think one of Vidyard. the companies. Yeah, Loom Vidyard, Vidyard. Vidyard. Yeah. And it's me with like a weird sign or something. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm smiling and I'm like, Hey, Chris, you're my prospect and I'm Jesse. And I want to get 15 minutes of your time to show you a demo. Which one are you guys seeing is, is sort of more effective? And then, you know, what are some ways that someone could maybe think about incorporating video more into their prospecting? Someone like myself, who's not doing yeah. any video prospecting and probably should be. Yeah. Well, it's, it's two different use cases sort of, right? Um, so the first one where you're talking about more like a, um, you know, micro demo, a product specific, not necessarily personalized, like the videos coming from marketing. Um, if mm-hmm. you have any kind of insights into like, you know, that prospect read a blog post that, you know, details that specific line of business or those particular features, or they downloaded a white paper, like then I think following up with that video content as a sales rep and using that for an icebreaker is yeah. a money move. And when okay. you're talking about like the personalized videos, like uh, Vidyard and, and Loom and things like that, the trap that people fall into is the same exact trap when we talked about like taking 30 minutes to personalize that first email in a sequence that like no one's going to see, right? They send it Mm -hmm. too early. So what I say is like, yeah, they send it too early. So, so what you do is um, you wait until after you sent them like maybe three or four emails and then look at the people that are actually opening your emails. And those are the ones that you make the personalized video for where maybe you have like their website up in the background. And, you know, we we used to do this at HubSpot, like um, I would pull their website up and just be like, Hey, clicking around your website just one quick thing i think you could improve on and you know for conversions and uh, you know i would click through that and be like hey you have too many fields on your contact us form you know we've seen if you only have four fields uh you're going to convert this many more customers you know through a proof point out and then you know send it off and great you you know they're going to look at it at that point right but yeah people people uh they like you know, try to do like a hundred of them in a day. And that's not the way to do it. You have to be yeah. kind of like a sniper, you know? Okay. Yeah. You know, one thing I have, I'm, I'm being, I was, I was being hard on myself earlier. Cause I was saying, I don't do enough video prospecting, but I'm remembering now that, you know, earlier this year, I did send a couple of very customized videos uh, to some, it wasn't the first touch to your point. It wasn't, you know, early in the Good. prospecting process There's a couple of touches in, but I sent over like an audit of their, of their current, you know, experience and yeah. showed how we would expound upon that experience. It's very short. I just use Vimeo uh, with yep. Vimeo. You can mark videos as like private. So only the recipient of the link can open that video. So that way it's not like distributed all over the web. Uh, because nice. obviously if you're sharing, you know, personal critique about somebody's customer experience or their, you know, yeah. marketing campaign or their, I don't know, their technology stack in some way, you probably don't want that to get, you know, picked up by Google searches. Uh, so yeah, yeah I think that that <laughs> seems like a, a super effective way. And I'm going to make it a goal that in 2022, I'm going to spend a lot more time recording video and even voice content, because I think hearing and, and, and watching is 
is just more, it's faster. It's just like calls. It's faster and more effective yeah. than having to read a whole email and process that if you're a busy executive or a busy prospect business owner, whatever it is. Uh, yeah. I think it's, it's a lot more effective. It's that, and it's the, uh, the kind of cutting through the noise factor, right? So, right. you know, they're being prospected to by, you know, reps at the companies that you're competing with and a bunch of other people that offer a bunch of different brand of solutions, right? So how are you going to cut through the noise, right? They're, they're getting a million emails from the Jessies of the world. They're getting followed on LinkedIn by a million Jessies. They're getting less and less phone calls. So that's one way to stand out and humanize yourself. But yeah, some of those other more creative touch points, like, you know, uh, even uh, snail mail, like if you can, if you can write someone a postcard, like a handwritten postcard, or if you could have a service do it for you, I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty cool and pretty cheap. Um, and it might get there. Do you guys measure data around things like gifts or, or mailers? I know it's, it's a little nuanced to try to pick up data on what the response rates are from a, from a mailer, but do you guys have anything like that? Um, it's tough. I don't know yeah. if we've, uh, if we've done it in the past, but the cool thing about most sales engagement platforms is you can do, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F testing on different steps. So, um, like if a client came to me with that and they wanted to test that, I would say first, make sure it's a solution that integrates in your sales engagement platform, then run that as the A version of, you know, whatever step in the sequence and then create a B version. That's like, a different type of touch point altogether, you know, like an oh, email cool. or okay. something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with physical mail, it's like, you know, they're getting a package and then they're replying and then you're setting up the meeting. So it's harder to measure, but you can do it with like, you know, video content versus white papers versus just plain email content, run, run more traditional testing that way. What other channels or platforms or, or, and when I say channels, platforms, meaning like, you know, in mails or, yeah. you know, are, are there anything, is there anything else out there that surprised you about the data you guys have gathered in terms of high response rates or high engagement with a prospect is, is in mails pretty high is, are people starting to use things like WhatsApp or SMS or, or other channels like that for prospecting? What's your take yeah. there? Um, WhatsApp, like overseas, I, like I'm working with a team in um, Latin America and Argentina. And that's, it, it's funny because culturally, uh, like cold calling is kind of a no-no. Um, at least that's what they're telling me, right? Maybe it was in, like, but in, in, yeah, in Latam, I think so. Yeah. And so um, it's very email and LinkedIn heavy, but then they'll send a WhatsApp message just to see if the person, if it's okay to cold call them. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. which And they, they have um, really great success with that. Um, smoke signals are working really good too. If you can, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Owning pigeons. Carrier. Yeah. Carrier pigeons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, door knocking. Bottle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Door um, knocking would probably not be effective right now. Yeah, it, in mails, it's interesting. So like anecdotally as a rep, I never really had much success with them. I think mm. um, like if we recommend in mails, it's usually part of uh, like an AE prospecting and right. maybe they're teamed up with a BDR. And so the BDR will be, you know, on LinkedIn, li liking posts and following the person. And then the AE reaches out with like maybe a connection request. And if they don't get the, the connection approved and they can't send a DM, then they send it in mail. But yeah. Yeah. So that's funny because I, well, in, in the past, I've had a lot of success with in-mails, but yeah. the asterisk that I'll put on that statement is that I probably started in-mailing before most people 
in mm-hmm. nailed. And so I, I, you know, from 20, like late 2014 until 2017, yeah. I had a little bit of a head start because it just was not what it is today where everybody's on it and everybody's managers encouraging them to use sales navigator to email. And through yeah. those years, I was you know, very effective at getting executive meetings booked through, through yeah, email. Nice. Now um, it, I haven't, I can't point to, well, probably in the last 18 months, I've had some traction. A lot of that though, is because I've, I was already connected with someone and mm-hmm. you know, I've built up the network on LinkedIn over the years. So that, that helps with your response rate when you're mutually connected to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and then I will also say that where I found the most use for something like sales navigator using in-mails is for events, which has sort of, you know, gone, huh. gone a little bit by the wayside. I mean, digital events are, are one yeah. thing, but we used to send in mails ahead of a trade show or ahead of a industry event or something like that, that would say, you know, Hey, Mr. Or Mrs. Prospect, we're going to be in Palm Springs for this event. And we would love to buy you coffee while we're there or take you out to tacos or whatever it is. And that gets a really high response rate. Cause people are like, Oh, cool. Someone's going to buy me tacos yeah. in Palm Springs. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so that's where I've found the, you know, the, the old, like, Hey, I'm going to use InMail to send that that same template that we talked about earlier, which is here's what our solution does and X Y Z, and we help other customers. It's just a little bit harder to get uh, you know interest through InMail versus again you know something very personalized. Hey, I'm going to be in your town. I want to buy you coffee. So hopefully yeah. in the next couple of months, though, with things uh, you know looking better in terms of the pandemic and people starting to go back into the office and agreeing to on sites, uh, I'm hoping I can start using InMail again to book coffee meetings. Uh, you know, lunches, happy hours, those kind of things. So I found that to be the most, uh, you know, successful way to use in mail. The other thing you brought up that I love is like the importance of being an early adopter, especially if your job is, yeah. you know, prospecting focus. Like if a new channel opens up somehow, like in mail did when it was new and you jumped on mm-hmm. it, um, it's really an awesome chance for you to stand out. And again, like, you know, cut through the noise. Um, on LinkedIn, I know just in the past year, they, uh, they gave people the ability to send uh, video direct messages, I think. And like people, I talked to reps that were just having like tons of success with that, just sending a personalized video through a LinkedIn DM to like a high value target account. Um, yeah. Well, I'm sure everyone's doing it now or something, <laughs> but yeah. What do you think the next- like that? Yeah. What do you think the next in mail is? If you could guess, uh, and and that way, you know, let's make some predictions here and and maybe a year from now we'll get back on and, and see if those ended up being, so it's dude, it's so funny. Um, I want to be careful about how I I share this story, but I had, uh, let's just call it a counterpart or, you know, he wasn't my leader. Um, but he led a, you know, similar team, really thought that that whole cameo thing was going to take off. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but there's this service called cameo where yeah. I guess you can pay like Snoop Dogg or yeah. some like washed up reality star from the early two thousands, you know, a couple hundred bucks, uh, to like send a message. And, and, you know, maybe again, maybe it's Snoop Dogg. Who's like, Hey, Chris, I'm, I'm reaching out on behalf of Jesse and he wants to set a demo and, and show you what he can do and he can help your, you know, your metrics by X, Y, Z. So there's this whole service cameo. Most people are probably already familiar with it. I hadn't Mm -hmm. really heard about it, but there was this manager that I'm aware of that just thought that that was going to be the next wave of prospecting glory. (laughs) He was just hell bent convinced that, well, the the future is going to be Snoop Dogg and, and Snooki uh, reaching out (laughs) to people. And I, I I swear he, I was like, when I heard this, I just, 
I cringed and rolled my eyes. And that's funny for, for a minute on LinkedIn, people were like, Oh, cameos, the future of prospecting. And I kind of yeah. saw the same thing recently with people doing like cold FaceTimes. I don't know what it was Oof. all about. I saw like just a bunch of posts about people trying to do cold FaceTimes. I think that oh, I, no. I don't, I haven't formulated an opinion on that because I just haven't tried it. Uh, so I'm not going to take sides, but apparently there's a lot of people that believe that's the next wave of effective outreach, but I am huh. curious. Yeah. Do you have any other, you know, from, based on data and actual work you're doing with clients or, 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 or your, you know, students or, or uh, yeah, your clients anyway, Yeah. what's what, any idea what the next uh, channel for prospecting might be? You know, I think someone has to figure out text messaging. Like it's, uh, you know, in the past few years, it was like uh, everyone wanted to jump on text messaging, but no one has really figured out how to use it in a prospecting motion. Like Mm -hmm. we've realized it's great in a deal funnel when, you know, in a sales cycle, when you already have a relationship with someone, Um, it's great for confirming meetings and making sure people get to a meeting. But as far as that initial two-way contact, Um, I think there is a use case there, but I'm just not sure like, you know, where it should fold into the other touch points and what the messaging should be like. Like, I guess my initial thought is like, maybe after, maybe after like six different touches, like you've already reached out on, poked them on LinkedIn a couple of times, you've already emailed a couple of times, you left a couple of voicemails. Then I think maybe like a text message, uh, kind of like, you know, shit or get off the pot. Like, just let me know if I need to keep bugging you or, you know, am I being a pest? Like, I'm so sorry. I figured I'd text you just because I know your email is probably getting blown up all the time. I think, I think maybe there's some value there. It, it's, it's so funny you say that. I, I, yes. First of all, I'm a huge fan of texting, especially late in the, in the funnel process. My mantra yeah. or my belief is that once you start texting with your champion in an, you know, an yeah. enterprise or even a, a mid-market deal, you're likely in the top running. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I think your, your odds of winning it are so much better once you start to text back and forth. And that's what I've observed yeah. in my career. But yeah, to mm-hmm. your point, that usually comes a lot later in the, in the conversation process. That's not usually a way to get the door open, but once the door is open, it's an effective way to, to exchange information and, you know, stay top of mind. And then, you know, it's funny because in a lot of business to consumer plays that I, that I'm aware of, and especially if you dig into like the, the online, the world of like online courses and, mm-hmm. uh, the world of like gurus. So there, you know, there's all these yeah. gurus out there that talk about uh-huh. building a, you know, an online course business or marketing oh, yeah. thing. Uh, I, yeah, I won't name all of them on here. You, you probably know <laughs> who they are because if you watch a YouTube yeah. video or you go on Facebook, you see their ads. A lot of those companies seem to nurture or send text messages, I think sometimes cold or out of the blue and engage with people. But I guess those are shorter sales cycles and it's more of a, I would compare it more to a B2C type thing than a B2B thing because they're, they're reaching out to people on Facebook who want to be entrepreneurs uh, and, you know, want to start their own media business or something uh, or whatever, start trading crypto or start trading Forex or something like that. So that's what I've seen too in that world. And I wonder at what point that's going to be more common in enterprise B2B. I think we're still a ways off, but I do think it's an interesting channel. And I would definitely encourage people to try to get cell phone details from your champions, your prospects after that first Mm -hmm. call. Um, But I don't tend to send a cold text to anybody unless they were an inbound lead. Uh, Sometimes I've done that with like inbound MQLs that come in where I feel like it's a good one and it's worth trying via text. Um, But I usually do that after making calls and emails first. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's so much potential there and people just in general, like, I mean, texting is the preferred communication channel, you know, like how many times have you talked to like a family member um, <laughs> or talked, you know, not even talked, texted, you know, mm -hmm. and then, you know, you'll, you'll tell, say someone, hey, like I talked to our cousin the other day. You know, it's like right. you're not talking, you're just texting and it's not even complete sentences, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, uh, I think we're, we're, we're at about an hour, which is fantastic. Yeah. Where Good. can, if my, if my listeners want to reach out to you for your advice to explore your services, where can they find you? Yeah, just uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, I'm always open to talk to anyone about anything, not just like the consulting services that we offer, but um, like, I know you have a lot of listeners, I think you mentioned that are kind of more in the early stages of their career. So I'm happy to like message people about, you know, just general career advice, kind of best practices around prospecting, cold calling, things like that. Sequences. I love sales sequences, any kind of sales text. So yeah, just hit me up on LinkedIn slide on awesome. into my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> I will post the link to your profile in the show notes. Any Sick. final word of wisdom, uh, any final words of wisdom for the listeners out there in regards to their prospecting, managing their deal cycles, anything else you care to share? No, man, just it's a tough job and yeah. uh, it pays great and it pays great because it's a tough job. So, you know, keep your chin up and always look at, you know, two or three deals or two or three roles uh, down the road and where you want to be in the future and just kind of do the math backwards and make sure you're doing the small things that need to be accomplished every day to, to get you to that point and just, just focus on the task at hand. Awesome. Love it, man. Uh, so glad you came on and, uh, looking forward to dropping this episode. Cool, man. Thank you. 